Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. <laughs> and that's why we have this sermon season called this sermon series called God Gave Me You. And so what is this about? And so moving through the Easter tide season, we'll be moving through the book of Acts, which is um, the stories that talk about the establishment of the church as we have come to know it as Christian community um, from basically the resurrection through the day of Pentecost. And so there's a lot to learn and experience. Um, And so this Sunday, we're not going in order in this series. I know I have normally gone in order. We are skipping all the way from the first book of Acts, which is where we were last week, to Acts chapter 9. And part of that is because, as a good storyteller sometimes does, in Acts 2, the writers basically, like, told us what happened. So, like, in Acts 2 is when the church is established. And so, if we're going to tell the story in order, we're not necessarily going to go in book, chapter, order. But there's also another reason. So as we go through this series on Pentecost Sunday, the focus will be connection. It makes sense in a series called God Gave Me You, right? If God gave us each other, then we would be connected to each other. But connection is not that easy. I mean, if you're here during the week, sometimes the Wi-Fi connection is wonky depending on how busy we are. And so you can only imagine if there are actual, like, lines and code that say this is how the Wi-Fi connection goes and it still gets wonky that between humans it would get even wonkier and so how do you get from I give you the Holy Spirit which we talked about in Acts 1 to connection and the establishment of the church on the day of Pentecost which we'll get to in early June well one of the ways is As we'll see in Acts, if you need a Bible, um, uh, you can pull it up on your phone or we have some Bibles in the back. We'll be in Acts chapter 9. We'll start at verse 1 going through verse 17. And one of the ways, one of the ingredients that takes us from being with each other to being connected to each other, hmm, there's a difference, is trust. And there's no greater story, in my opinion, about trust than the one in Acts chapter 9. So we'll start at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was the early church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called, him, called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, Ananias answered. 
the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on the on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, said Ananias, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother, Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. The word of God for the people of God. Yeah, thanks be to God. A little iffy on that. Hold on. Wait a minute. So if you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, just a quick catch up. Acts chapter 1. We are introduced to the Holy Spirit by Jesus, but Jesus in the revealing himself doesn't answer any questions. Um, Christ did not come to give us clarity and comfort. There were doubts, there were questions, there was need, there was presence, there was longing, and then Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts takes us through the birth of the Christian church and its subsequent growth through the adventures of Peter. Paul and a few others. So the apostles and followers of Jesus are inspired and emboldened by the Holy Spirit. Inspired and emboldened. I don't know if any of you can recall moments where you ended up inspired or you ended up emboldened. But you didn't start that way. Usually to be inspired, there's usually, you're usually on like the cusp of despair. Like if something does not show me something big, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And to be emboldened, you have to be kind of like, am I, am I, am I going to do it? Am I, am I supposed to do it? Yeah, 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 we can do it. We can. Usually there's a little pep talk going on in there. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit that brings inspiration and boldness usually means that that's not what's present among us already. So I've enjoyed reading and I enjoy reading the book of Acts about Christian community being formed because in the context of formation and expansion, you can see how we're really too hard on ourselves these days. This idea of we are the church and this behavior that usually has us puff out our chest and say, I can do anything through Christ which strengthens me. Neglects the days, since we're puffing out our chest, that we have to do the workouts (laughs) to get strong enough for our chests to be puffed out. And so I laugh, you know, when I read some of the stories because I see myself in them. More than some of the stories in the Old Testament where we have people, you know, 
moving into castles and taking on missions and moving through parted seas and going up to mountaintops and talking to burning bushes and being willing to like sacrifice their children. And yeah, no, I probably wouldn't sign up for that. But the stories of the early church where they're sitting in rooms intermittently praying and bickering. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds more like my life. And so as we open the series with Acts 1, the Trinity is introduced to us as our guide. The response of our Redeemer, Jesus the Messiah, God incarnate, to our doubt, to our questions, to our needs, to our longing for the presence of Jesus to remain with us. The final aspect of the triune God is gifted to us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't give us clarity for our questions and assurance for our doubts as we demand that he stay with us. As we demand Jesus' presence, he doesn't take us up to heaven or remain with us here on earth. Instead, he gives us the Holy Spirit. In parallel fashion in this story, the doubt, the questions, the discomfort that arises when God asks Ananias to visit Saul. Now, Paul, this is the conversion story, who had persecuted the early church. Let me take that back. Who persecuted the early Christians. Because, see, there was no institutional big church to have their back. There was no buildings and sanctuary for them to run into and find safe haven. They only had each other in fields and houses. And when I say persecution, I mean he literally killed or incited their murders. I'm not saying he bullied them or he teased them. I'm not saying he was annoying to the point where they were so stressed out they couldn't focus on anything else. I'm saying he literally killed them. And so naturally Ananias protests just a little bit. And God assures him that Paul is, God's words, my chosen vessel. Oh, I got questions. So this dude that just killed my friend is your chosen vessel? Not me. I'm not your chosen vessel. Hold on, hold on. You can't just do this like with me. Like I already said, I like you. Ananias agrees to the meeting. After rereading the passage many years ago, I realized that how I had understood this passage preached for so many years was misunderstood. Now, I don't know if it was how I heard it or how it was said. But what I realized a few years ago was that Ananias was not trusting Paul. For Ananias, Paul was still Saul. Ananias was trusting Paul. God. The journey or the process of finding ourselves aligned with God's desires, of being fully available and present for the story that God is weaving together. Not the story we've told ourselves, not the story that we've heard, but the story that God is weaving together for the kingdom can feel uncomfortable and tricky. See, it's one thing to be uncomfortable. It's another to suspect that you might be being tricked. 
Part of this trickiness comes because we are trying to understand what God wants from us. The process of trusting God. In this story in particular, Paul is simply the object of God's trust. The person Ananias is asked to visit. Later on, Paul is trusted by the community, but not in this point. As a matter of fact, if we use our sanctified imagination and come up with a couple of reasons about why God might have blinded a person, completely incapacitated one of the strongest men in the Bible, like literally physically strong, I mean... If we use our own imaginations, the only reason why we would blind an extremely strong man is so that he didn't do what we knew he was capable of doing. God trusts Saul to be Saul. (laughs) And so Ananias must trust God to be God. The type of trust that's displayed here intrigues me. It's an unlikely trust that starts with a prompting that receives validation from God and then continues to deepen and unfold over time. So, Ananias, trust me. I know he saw. I, I made him. Like, I know he saw. Ananias, trust me. Ananias trusts God. God does what God does in the process. And as we interpret and inherit the story, which is how we end up here with each other today, the community at that time called The Way ends up trusting Paul. Paul ends up impacting and instructing us here today. This trusting of one's life to someone else's story God has a story. I know this is your life, but should you surrender your life, that whole thing that happened on Resurrection Sunday, if you believe in that and surrender your life into the story of God, then there's going to be a scary invitation. When we started the Lenten season, we started with a message that helped us understand that sometimes we confuse trust which we hear about in this story, with faith, which is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Faith requires trust, but the essence of trust is not the same as the essence of faith. See, trust is founded upon understanding. Whether you understand a small piece of the story and that's enough for you, or you understand the whole story, the point is, I trust what's going on and what's about to happen. Trust is scary, but well-placed reliance does deliver amazing results. Most of the people that ended up in the fields, most of the people that ended up in the synagogues, in the places, in the weddings that we talked about when we journeyed through John that were able to witness what Jesus was doing, they didn't show up because they trusted Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. They showed up because someone said they should. 
Someone walked alongside them and said, I'm going to go check this thing out. And they trusted who they were with. They trusted their community. And so though trust is founded upon understanding, revelation, what we just walked through, through the Lenten season, what we just saw on Resurrection Sunday in the stories of the Messiah, revelation is based on awe. That seems kind of backward. It's a very small word for such a big thing to rest upon. But as Jesus revealed himself, and then after his return during the Easter season stories, as he reveals himself even more and gifts us the Holy Spirit, what develops in the community is not understanding. Ananias doesn't understand what God is doing. But what does develop is awe. What did that guy Jesus just do? What did God just do? I can't understand God in this small way. He cannot be explained in the stories we sing every Friday night. There's got to be something else. There's got to be a bigger way. When you're in awe of something... That's when you open up. In the Methodist tradition, we have this thing called prevenient grace. It's the grace that exists before we can even know to say yes or maybe to God. It's the grace that opens us up to the possibility of not just salvation, but holiness, community. As Jesus reveals himself to us, as God moves through the Holy Spirit and awe builds, that means I don't know what's happening. This is pretty cool. This is pretty scary. I don't know how to explain this. As awe builds, one of the things I've realized in my own life is that I stop weighing the cost of betrayal about if I'm wrong. I presume that in that one sentence between Ananias saying, do you really mean Saul? And then Ananias going to Saul, that there was a choice to trade his understanding for all the experiences of awe that he had had in the past months and weeks. Seeing Jesus resurrected, hearing the stories of the miracles he'd performed. See, when we think of only the earthly, only the concrete, The advice of Maya Angelou that we should trust someone and believe them when they show us who they are the first time seems like the only way to go. Except the first time we saw Jesus, he was a baby. 
And one of the last times we saw Jesus, he was ascending on a cloud. And none of that makes sense. And so the process of trusting people may look one way. But the triune God was not just a person. Jesus, even as the person, was divine. And then we had God, the creator. And then we have the Holy Spirit. The triune God, the creator, the redeemer, and the comforter, they don't ask us for trust based in a progressive understanding of our safety. They ask us for faithfulness. Hmm. In my experience, well-placed trust bonds people. They grow to love one another. We've all experienced that. Our faith encourages us to keep going even when clarity and understanding aren't present. We are present with one another and we are encouraged to keep going. Encouragement is what one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is. We bear the fruit of being able to encourage one another to have the courage to keep going because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The courage to attempt to see ourselves in the story that God is weaving, our present and our future from the perspective of walking alongside the Holy Spirit gifted to us during this Easter season. That's why there's, I presume, six Sundays between Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. For us to walk alongside one another because the first step is through faith in God with the help of the Holy Spirit. But to get to Pentecost Sunday and connection so many weeks from now, we've got to walk with one another. I've benefited from trusting God that I would eventually trust people. And hopefully you've experienced that as well. I mean, you haven't run me out of here yet. Though there are differences in the details about the nature of the Holy Spirit based on our backgrounds here at Lyde, one of the things that is for sure is that for our community as a creedal community based in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Meaning we believe in the comforting presence of our God to walk with us through processes of resilience and journeys that seem risky. With the faith that God, our creator, is powerful enough to redeem the situation, no matter what it is, and the people in it. Even us, (laughs) as Christ promised us. And so we trust with the help of the comforter the Holy Spirit. And in that trust, we find the courage to do the hard things. Mm -hmm.